0: On Commons People this week, is a Brexit TV debate really a good idea? All I know is that I've accepted the idea of a debate very have to do, so I did that on Sunday night. Philip Hammond admits Brexit's going to make us a lot poorer.
1: Remaining in the European Union uh, would be a better outcome for the economy.
0: And will Labour really back a second referendum?
2: If that's not possible, we'll be calling upon the government then to join us in a public vote.
0: Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost's politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons. Paul War is here. Hi, Paul. Hi, Ned. And our Brexit expert this week is Alan Wager from the UK and a Changing Europe think tank. Hi, Alan. Hi there. So um, at the moment, Theresa May has agreed to debate Jeremy Corbyn on the BBC. Jeremy Corbyn has agreed to debate Theresa May on ITV. Um, here's the Labour leader uh, talking on ITV about half an hour ago, claiming that's because he wants to watch I'm a Celebrity. All I know is that I've accepted the idea of a debate, very happy to do, so I did that on Sunday night as soon as the Prime Minister made the suggestion.
1: The ITV offer seemed a sensible one, it reaches a wide audience and the timing looked good to me because it's not inconveniencing people who may wish to watch other things later in the evening. One should always have respect for the viewers and also we want to get the widest possible... So your debate and most diverse is based around people being able to watch the IMSL Eleven <laughs> final? <laughs> Indeed sir. So.
0: so this debate, if it actually happens... Is it a good idea for the Prime Minister?
1: You know what? What's really curious about this is, obviously, it doesn't matter how big... Everyone's going to bet the ratings. Can you pull in the big ratings before or after Strictly, before or after I'm a celeb? As if the ratings matter. All right, you could get 20 million people watching this, but it's that's not the audience that matters. The yeah. audience that matters is 650 MPs at the end mm. of the day or even less than that. It's 315 Tory MPs. You know, that's really the audience. So you want, why is she doing it? And you've got to keep coming back to the, to the real vague feeling that I, I distrust this sort of vague feeling when I first heard about this. But maybe, but maybe this is the sort of ground rules for a general election, which is that You know, if you're if push comes to shove and she simply can't get this deal through, you know, the the there is a possibility of the Nate Armageddon scenario where she would say, Well actually sod you, I'm gonna push actually ask for a general election. It's the only way out of this impasse. And if you think like that, and obviously there's lots of ifs there, then selling this to the British public could help you in mm. the long run. It could make you look like you've got definition, you've got a credible plan, Corbyn hasn't got a credible plan. The downside is whether or not com- Corbyn picks massive holes in it mm. and actually just sounds more credible than her.
3: Yeah, and Paul's argument makes com- complete sense. If you're trying to win the vote in the House of Commons, it makes pretty much no sense to do this vote because the people you need to vote for it are Labour MPs in sort of marginal constituencies, potentially. And this sort of reinforces the sort of two-party politics frame of thinking about British politics. And the only way of winning the vote in the House of Commons is working around the two-party politics. And the only way of kind of bringing it back to party politics is to have a general election and make it about the two-party leaders and get everyone to rail behind against her remaining ace card that people have sort of forgotten about a bit, which is conservative MPs really, really don't Mm -hmm. like Jeremy Corbyn. Do you yeah. think, so
0: do you think the fact that she's gone for this debate shows she's totally given up on any idea of Labour MPs backing the vote? Well, it, it, you... to
1: my mind, it, it does. It it's it's as Alan quite rightly says. That what's the better way of making sure that Labour MPs don't vote for you in the House <laughs> of Commons? Is is effectively to sort of say, well, it's me or that guy and then hint, hint possibly that there could be some sort of general election. Mm. I mean, it just it makes life very difficult for a Labour MP, because it, though it's already difficult if you're a Labour MP, think you're voting for the Prime Minister. There's only one on the record who's even flirting with it now, which is Caroline Flint. But even she, even Caroline Flint might be hard-pressed if, if there's a Prime Minister versus her own party leader on a TV debate to sort of stick with it.
0: Do you think there's anything in the sense that by doing a debate... That could persuade the public. You then conduct polls that show the public back the deal. And that puts pressure on Tory MPs that are wavering to then side with the people. That's
1: partly their strategy. They they were delighted by the Daily Mail front page this week, number 10, obviously, which suggested that the public were behind this deal and wanted everyone to get on with it. Um, But, you know, that's why I think it was Liam Fox the other week who actually said, look, it doesn't matter whether you change the leader doesn't really matter. You can't change the arithmetic. Mm. And you cannot change the arithmetic of the House of Commons as it is. That's the, that's the arithmetic everyone's having to deal with, not just number 10, but Jeremy Corbyn too. What's the only way of changing the arithmetic? Mm. A general election. And
0: actually, we've we had some interesting stats this week uh, from your think tank, Alan, about Labour MPs and the difficulty that the Prime Minister's had, you know, persuading them. And is it largely because apparently, essentially, their constituency is becoming more Remain? Was that the the... yeah? And of there's
3: the, a fab, fab reddit right up by Ned in the in the well, post, yes, uh, I, post I, actually, I don't know yeah. about that.
0: I'd, I'd read Alan's blog actually. I
3: think that was <laughs> <is>, uh, <laughs> also a blog by me. Yeah, yeah. So, so, there's been a big movement away, and these things all sort of correlate with every single poll since the referendum, which shows about a six, seven, eight percent movement to remain. And if that were played out in the country, you'd have some constituencies going way more remain, and then some sort of staying about the same. And there was, so there was a big big moves in specific constituencies, also marginal constituencies, which are now a majority of them and now remain. About a quarter of them were before, now it's a majority. Mm -hmm. And these things, you know, so there's two things that are playing out. There's this debate, the discussion we're having about how individual MPs will think about how they vote. And there's also a question about the party strategy of the two parties. If they want to win an election, they need to look at those specific constituencies and what they're doing, how they're moving, And not to be too cynical about it, they're thinking about the next election. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's going to be the main thing. That's
0: I just guess that influences kind of Labour's tentative, slowly, slowly shift towards possibly maybe another referendum. Let's listen first to John McDonnell um, talking to BBC, which seemed like a big moment where he said it seemed inevitable that the party would end up backing a referendum.
2: Let's go through it again so people are absolutely clear. Yeah,
1: people want you to well, be a clear.
2: Well, we have been saying this since party conference because that mm-hmm. was the deal, and you covered it. Indeed. The conference I said that we want a deal that will protect jobs in the economy. If we can't achieve that, the government can't achieve that, um, we think we can. If the government can't achieve that, we should have a general election. Which you know. You know as well as I not do. It's not very difficult happen. to yep. do because of the nature of the legislation that David Cameron brought forward. Mm-hmm. If that's not possible, we'll be calling upon the government then to join us in a public vote. And again, it's difficult to judge this at each stage, but this, that's the sequence I think that will inevitably go through over this period. So it now, would be
1: inevitable that, that if a vote of no confidence didn't bring down the government and a general election, it is inevitable to use that word that you
2: just used, there the, would be another vote. Well that's right. We've said our policy is if we can't get a general election, well then the other option which we've kept on the table is a, pe- a people's vote, a public vote. Now,
1: are they going to? Is it inevitable? Well, I think, as as Alan was saying, one of the most interesting things in in his research is that what's the, what's one of the marginals that were things yeah. that flip from <laughs> from leave to remain. John McDonald's constituency. It was, was it the fifth or sixth biggest? Switch? It was the fifth, fifth biggest move.
3: Yeah, with Hayes and Harlington. Well, I guess sort of out out of out of London. There's been a lot of movement of people to constituencies like that. For the sort of younger people, and that's why there's sort, of, sort of social trends and moving towards those constituencies just outside London, like John McDonald's. and he talks a lot about his constituency when he's sort of rationalising he what does, he's doing yeah. in the Labour Party. What you know, he said, what was it he said the other day that if he was Chancellor, he would still live in yeah. Hayes and Harlington. Mm. I don't know how realistic that is, but it shows that he could rationalise it in the sense of listening to his constituency. And I think that's why these things are potentially important.
1: I think that's really important because all the way along what struck me is that um, John McDonnell has always, always said, he's always dropped into the conversation, well, actually, my seat really did vote leave. You know, it's Mm. one of the few areas in the whole of London that voted leave. He's constantly referred to that over time in the last two years. He can no longer say that now. Mm. Um, and, And given that John McDonnell is a smart cookie... Um, you know, I don't think it was a mistake what he said on the BBC because, not least because a very similar story was appeared on Robert Preston's Facebook blog the day before. I'm not suggesting that John McDonnell um, was the direct source for that, but he's very friendly to Robert Preston. So, um, so it's not just a one-off. It wasn't a slip of the tongue. I think there's a definite move here. Big question is whether or not McDonnell really believes it or whether he's just really trying to scare the hell out of the, the government because mm. um, it would scare the hell out of the government and I think I don't know about you Alan but the, the, the big problem I think even if Labour were to officially adopt a second referendum even if it were to get to that stage you know the government have refused the general election and Labour's you know mm. sequencing has been met even at that point and then Jeremy Corbyn says right we're going to go for for a people's vote and we're going to try and secure one in the House of Commons um, even at that point, there may well be something like twenty, twenty-five, thirty Labour MPs who really don't want a referendum, mm. and I don't know what that number is. Alan, I, I mean, I mean it's, it's probably smaller now, but it's about still eight substantial, isn't it? Brexit supporters in the Labour Party, parliamentary
3: party, and there's a further twelve or to fifteen that are sort of in constituencies that are still mainly Leave. You know, and Caroline Flint is the sort of example of this, and she's sort of leader of this sort of group, if you like, de facto. And, and 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 if those people all vote for it, then we're looking at getting thirty conservative, remain inclined MPs to vote for it. And I was so I was reading Paul's thing last week where he was talking about there was the meeting of the uh, uh, the conservative group for Europe followed by the European yeah. Research Group, and it was just striking that it didn't seem like they'd really worked out their strategy yet. A lot of people you'd think they've worked out what they're going to do. They're going to work on mass. There's going to be resignations from the government to try and push for this. I don't know whether that's clear. Whether are they actually organised? Have they actually got a plan? Well, to, that's a really good question
1: because I think you're right. That's it will come down ultimately to how good at organising are the People's Vote MPs in the Tory party and in the Labour party. Now, even if, in, under this fantasy scenario, Labour's backing it. You're right. Uh, uh, there, I'm not sure if there are enough numbers on the Tory side to outweigh the Labour doubts. There may well be. I've been told privately by Tory MPs they've got at le- t- they've got people who've declared for it. What about six of them? I think obviously? there's eight now. Eight, eight now, okay, yeah. um, I've been told that there are twenty more that have privately said mm. to the Tory remainers. Look, and including ministers, people who are ready to come out for it in government and give it more weight, then then maybe, just maybe, that's possible. Those numbers will outweigh the Labour numbers. It could be those Tories that once
0: it's on the table will then say, OK, but I want to go out ahead of the game. Perhaps, yeah. The- and
1: don't forget, yeah. there is a minority, still a minority of Tory hardline Brexiteers who think a people's vote might be a good idea. And it is a very, very weird bit of the Venn diagram, but they do exist mm. and they may, might get bigger. Because, you know, if if their big game in town is a renegotiation, how do you get that by extending Article 50? If you're extending Article 50, then maybe you do give yourself time for people's mm. vote. So, and the, uh, uh, there's the Diana But point as well to chuck in. Diana But quite rightly, you know, she it's not outlandish. She said, if you be careful what you wish for, if you have another referendum, she thinks Leave could win again. Well, actually, that's the thing. Of course,
0: the hard bit would actually be winning the referendum, perhaps, yeah. rather than actually getting it. There's an assumption that you just have it and it'd be fine. But and, uh, and, it,
1: and there, as I say, there's this tiny number of hardline Eurosceptics who say actually. A double referendum victory would be absolutely well, brilliant for us. That's
0: an interesting point, isn't it? Because um, Justin Greening, who's one of the Tory MPs who's backing the referendum, today spoke about what will be on the ballot. And her idea is you have um, remain, the government's deal, or no deal. And I get there's a lot of hardcore Brexiteers who would, would bet that no deal would win because that would be seen as yep. proper Brexit.
1: Yeah, and I um, think actually it's not to be underestimated. Oh, despite the doom and gloom yesterday from Mark Carney, despite the fact that. The, you know, the cogniscenti, the academics, the, the, the experts. experts in Whitehall. And, you know, let's be honest, on, on, on an objective view of it, you know, it would be very, very difficult for the economy. Speaking
0: of the Despite economy... Despite all
1: that, I think people still, the identity politics kicks in.
0: Shall we listen to Philip Hammond kind of rather casually admitting that any kind of Brexit would really screw the economy?
1: <laughs> well, if the only consideration, if the only consideration was the economy... Uh, then uh, the analysis shows clearly that remaining in the European Union uh, would be a better outcome for the economy. But not by much. The Prime Minister's deal um, delivers an outcome that is very close to the economic um, benefits of remaining in, while having all the political benefits of being out.
0: That's the Chancellor. That was weird, wasn't it? You don't usually hear that from the government saying, yeah, what we're doing, whatever we do. Um, it's going to be. But you know bad. what?
1: To be fair to him, the, the nuance was the word slightly that he keeps saying all the time. Um, he said, and they emphasize this not enough, in my opinion, that basically it'd be a 1% hit to GDP by 2024 if we go out and a Maze deal rather than have stayed in mm. the EU. 1% of GDP really isn't massive over that period of time. You know, a recession, I made this point this morning in the war zone, a recession is much bigger than that. You know, and let's be honest, there will be a recession. Boom and bust has not been abolished by, by Gordon Brown or anyone else. So there's going to be a recession coming along. I think the really interesting thing is wh- who's going to get the blame for that recession? Will mm. the Brexiteers get the blame? Or will they say, actually, it's because you didn't have the right kind yeah. of Brexit? Um, yeah. And But the fact is, on the raw economics, that would be much more of an impact than as staying in the EU and I think actually as I say to be fair to the government if they can sell this to their own MPs and then to the public that yeah okay it could have been much much worse you know all the other alternatives this is the least worse alternative for the economy they might get away with that Do
0: you think I don't know, I mean the assumption now is that she's going to lose the vote is mm. that the right assumption or
3: I think the assumption that she'll lose the vote the first the time first is, vote, pretty, yes. is, 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 is now pretty pretty sound I think now it's sort of priced in that you can vote for this if you've got any sort of gripe with the deal either way, you can vote against it. So the sort of number one rule of rebellion in, in in British politics is that it gets it gets you know, it, upon impact with the reality. Yeah. MPs then decide, oh, I'm actually going to vote with the government. That won't really necessarily apply this time because anyone with any particular gripe knows there's going to be a second vote. So it just it just plays differently. Uh, and I think the well, I mean, the the impact the economy, the economic figures will have on the vote. I'm not sure there's all that many MPs now on either side that would be swayed by economic forecasts now so I get I, because I think if you're a if you're a brexiteer you have quite a basic light and it it's been remarkable how many many brexiteers have come out and said you just can't believe these forecasts they're completely complete nonsense basically uh, and Remain is also Rightly or wrongly, and actually the economy has gone down by about 2% since the referendum, it's been a slow puncture as opposed to a cliff edge. They also don't want to make the same mistakes that the Remain campaign made last time. But I think that, that idea of, of, the, of, the, of the, the economic effect as being more like a slow puncture than a, than a cliff edge is really important because when it comes to April, if the deal has passed and it comes to April 2019... There won't be as any sudden drop, and I think Remainers thinking strategically uh, are maybe actually, you know, causing themselves longer-term political damage by talking up the idea of a cliff edge economic. I point.
1: completely agree, Alan. Actually, and I think that's actually people have missed this strategically. The the trick the government have pulled off, which is all this talk about No Deal, which is you know pretty sure most people in Number Ten are not going to allow it happen. Um, all that talk about an Deal means that when it doesn't happen, when the catastrophe doesn't happen, the government can say, look, we're doing the right thing. You know, people said it would be and, and they'll point to the Remainers and say, ah, yet again, you approve wrong. And they'll point to the Brexiteers and say, you approve wrong as well. And I think there's a real danger for the Remain camp in that all this talk about Armageddon, when it doesn't happen, means that they've got very little left in the locker. And it's, you know, I think it's very dangerous for them. And and this morning, one of the most interesting exchanges was between Yvette Cooper and and, um, Theresa May at the liaison committee, where Yvette Cooper asked the best question, didn't get an answer of course but the best question was it's true isn't it that you're just not going to let no deal happen you're not ever going to let that happen hand on heart are you no may ducked it but at the end of the day she's right may isn't going to let that happen can we talk
0: about the actual vote and the procedure and what's going to happen mm. i mean how's it actually going to work there's a lot of hoo ha wasn't there when Dominic Raab was secretary all those days ago yeah about him trying to stitch it up and now that's not the case yeah well last night we had the government's
1: program motion which sets out how the order of the votes would take place this is the biggest vote in parliament in a generation it's going to be on the december the 11th now we know what's going to happen previously dominic raab when he was brexit secretary had tried to fix the vote by saying actually we're going to have our main vote first. You can say, take it or leave it. You'll say yes or no to that. Then this this is at the time, of course, when they thought they'd win this vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very important caveat. So they were thinking, if, if we win this, then, of course, we'll go to Brussels and we'll say, yeah, this is legal ratification of the, award, the withdrawal agreement, which is really, really important. This is a legal move by Parliament. So then Europe can get on and ratify its bit. Um, and that, the assumption was that then... You could have all the amendments afterwards. It doesn't matter if those amendments were a bit tricky or difficult or politically embarrassing. They didn't They didn't really matter. So, But the government has finally worked out, actually, it's relented and said, no, you can do the normal procedure, which is do amendments first. Now, actually, I talked to someone in Labour who said, God, actually, I wish we hadn't pushed for this now because... It's almost certain that they haven't got a majority for a people's vote. It's too early. It's too early to push for a customs union. Too early for lots of things. So there's a real danger those amendments will be completely redundant beforehand. Right. So it, so it sort of flushes
0: out how perhaps if there's not a majority for May's deal, it shows there's no That's majority for any. Brilliant
1: for number 10. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Although, although we've seen today and Peston, who's generally well well sourced on these sort of remain, particularly in the rain sort of camp and so on, sort of said that. The, there was going to be this doctor's amendment on yes. uh, on a people's vote. So to say, so before the before the meaningful vote, uh, a vote saying how many people flushing out whether there's a hundred or 120 MPs in favour of people's vote now.
1: And An that was Informed always, consent, wasn't it? The, this, the informed consent. The, the public you, need to, you know, like any patient yeah. before a big operation, need to give their informed consent <laughs> of what they're doing. Yeah. That Sarah Wallace again puts a
3: sort of May today, and sort of got a bit of a blank look. But I mean, this the the, the the important thing is that they are now they've now been persuaded not to right. table this amendment it looks like and that's that makes a big difference i mean if if a, if a referendum was voted down before the meaningful vote quite substantially then the, then the government would be have, have grounds to say there's no there's no way this is going yeah. to pass it, it could ruin the politics of for the people's vote campaign whereas actually doing it afterwards Gathering up this, it, it requires a whole load of things to happen for it to work. But but it, but it's, it's way more likely now if they wait until after the vote. And that's that was sort of a trap that was set by the government basically inadvertently yeah. because they kind of didn't really want to do it. But they they don't they. But now it looks like the remainers are organised and wise enough to do it uh, to to wait until after the vote. I mean the the, the big question is. And, that, and that's, that speaks to the question of how organised the Remainers are. It looks like maybe they're getting their act together and getting a bit more organised on a cross-party basis to work out the best way they could actually form this coalition of 320 yeah. Yeah. MPs. And,
1: yeah. and don't forget as well, I mean, I did a story earlier in the week. One thing that the government, the other stick that the government's trying to beat the... Uh, uh, backbenchers with, is the threat of a soft Brexit. And they're saying it's not just the people's vote that's the real worry for, for, I mean, May's been talking a lot about people's vote, you know, would mean no Brexit. Um, But actually, the real weapon they've got against a lot of their wavering backbenchers, the people who are Eurosceptic, but are actually quite loyal, their key market that they've got to shift, the message to them is, look, this is the best Brexit, the hardest Brexit you're going to get. There's no majority for an even harder Brexit. You're never going to get a no deal, really. Although we talk about it, you're not really going to get it. But Or if you don't do this, it's inevitable you're going to get a softer Brexit. What does that mean? It means a customs union, the very thing many of you really, really loathe. Um, and that's why the trade bill, which is you know hovering in the Lords, has got to come back. The government have held it back. The government are reminding MPs that, look, mm. the trade bill was passed by just, it was defeated just by six votes, a customs union amendment in the summer, in July. Now since then, you've had Joe Johnson leave a government, you've had Philip Lee leave government, so automatically you're right down to the wire on winning that vote. And many people in government, in number 10, think they're going to lose a customs union amendment on the trade bill. Now why does that matter? Because it's a piece of legislation. It's not like a meaningful vote, it's not just a gesture, it means they can build into legislation that this trade, future British trade, will will rely on a customs union between the EU and the UK, mm. and there's all sorts of problems with that because it runs up against Article 50. And it's they are saying to, to Brexiteers, Look, do you really want to go down that route? Because if you do, Labour's got lots mm. of ways of implementing
0: that. We're talking about um, kind of different options. There's a lot Norway in the last few days, uh, also fish. I feel a quiz um, coming on. Oh no, it's a really bad quiz about fish, <laughs> quiz about um, fish, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, so it's a fish quiz, um, right. I'm really, can I
1: just say before you start? <laughs> yeah. I'm really disappointed that I forgot. Graham Deminick suggested a brilliant headline for the War Zone this week, which was all about how important Michael Gove was and how important he was to the fishing debate. And the headline would have been the Codfather.
0: <laughs> oh God! Okay, he's the Godfather <laughs> of, of <laughs> Leave Vote. Anyway, a classic Graham headline. <laughs> right. So um, apparently, Norway fished um, three million six hundred seventy-four thousand five hundred thirty-seven seven. 100 metric tons of fish.
3: Have we had this quiz before? Well,
0: maybe. Who knows? There's been a lot of podcasts. <laughs> God, does
3: everyone get done the fish quiz? So, three and a half million three thousand a half
0: tons, million tons of fish. A year. That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a country. Um, tell me if they fish more fish than Norway fishes.
3: Or fish less. Or fish less than well, Norway so fishes. They, is it, do you fish more than Norway quiz, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. I
0: thought, got, thought of a clever name. But um, <laughs> I know. Here's uh, a bad country. Um, okay. Um, United States. More or less fish
1: got To be more than Norway, surely. Well, I'll go with
0: less, more, uh, five and a half million, but mm. close, not that
2: much more, yeah, yeah. yeah but okay. surprisingly, not,
0: yeah. not much more. <laughs> uh, okay, how about Thailand?
2: Ooh,
1: that's a, a lot, good one. A lot of coast The way you Thailand. said that, Ned, makes me think that Thais <laughs> actually do more than the Norwegians, yeah, I'm agree, go, agree. Bad go. poker face from Ned, I'm I think that's probably more.
0: Uh, no really good poker face you know, <laughs> oh, it absolutely tricks you um two and a half million tons still a lot okay i'll give you, I'll give you two more um how about japan
1: oh, that's got to be huge huge. I'm going to say much more because they, well, they even used they to fish. fish whales. They fish whale. Whale, that's whales. That's one a fish. whale though, isn't it? Know, <laughs> Wait, do whales count as fish? I don't know. Well, only in yeah. Moby Dick it's, fi- it's a fish, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, I wonder... Yeah, I think that's got to be more than not Norway. If we're including the whales, then we'll go with yeah. It's more I'm than
0: Norway. If we're including it. the whales. it's more. It's yes. not not by loads though. Like four <laughs> four point one, which no, isn't that much no, more no, than the Norway. Little okay, old Norway. Um, and to be... one more. Um, blah 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 blah. How about South Korea?
1: South Korea. Ooh, that's a good one because that's you'd think it'd be. It's got massive population like Japan, big coastline. Ooh, I think I reckon that'd be really close. I'm gonna say that's just. Tiny bit more than Norway. So what we're talking three point four million
3: versus, or is it uh, what three point six? Three point six I'm million. Say three point seven. Uh, three
0: point eight. <laughs>
1: the no, guess, it's guess a, rules. I guess like
0: quite a lot less. Two point one. Oh, Two point one. Oh, that was a go. fish quiz. Um, God knows if those numbers are accurate. It's oh, just what what is. Is. <laughs>
1: do, do you know what the UK's is?
3: Um, not on this list of ones I've got, but it's... Um, there is a UK The Changing Europe publication on fish and fishing quotas and, and so Anna on. And, not yeah. <laughs> By folk at the University of Western of Scotland, Craig McAngus. Give, oh, him, give him a look, look, look on that Twitter. Up. There we go. I should have looked that up and <laughs> based it on those numbers, really. What's
1: Craig's, Craig's Twitter handle?
3: Oh, uh, Look at, it up, folks. Google him. At the Codfather.
1: It should be, uh, be but good. it's
0: not. But right. It's okay. Not. <laughs> well, let, let's stop this now. Um, we'll end on uh, Michael Gove attempting to speak French in the Commons earlier when asked about fish. Um, bye, everyone. Yeah, the Secretary of State will have heard the comments of the French President about access to our fishing grounds. Can he confirm for the fishing industry and to obey? These are hollow threats, and we will in future decide our own fishing policy.
1: Certainement, le président de la France. Sorry, I'll translate. The French President is on this occasion wrong.